Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. He pulled me into his office and said, I'm so glad we have a female pilot, female officer. If any of the female enlisted Marines have a problem, I want them to come directly to you for help. And I said, and if they do that, I'll refer them directly to their chain of command because that's not my job. And honestly, in an ideal world, that probably would have been the right answer. But I didn't, I saw my role as I'm a Marine, just like everybody else. What I failed to see was that women in the Marine Corps in particular even though I acknowledged it on the fringes, I didn't really understand how deeply it affected us. That that objectification, that different set of standards, double standards being applied by the Marines around us, the subordination that was constantly being internally and mentally applied to these women. I didn't see that for what it was. I thought it was just a risk. I could push through it. If I could push through it, bite my tongue and get tough skin, then everybody else should be able to also. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Fancy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Hello, everyone. We hope you all had a fantastic Memorial Day weekend, or if you're across the globe, just a happy, plain old regular weekend. We are sharing in the main segment of the show an interview with Jeanette Haney because we think it's a really important conversation surrounding the military and what more appropriate time to have those conversations than after Memorial Day. In the first part of the show, we're going to talk about the um, 
congressional food food fight is what Beth is the word Beth has been used. I think that's appropriate. Congressional food fight between Donald Trump and House leadership and House committees. And then at the end of the show, we'll be sharing what's on our mind outside of politics. Before we get started, though, we are still in the last week of our Patreon membership drive. And it is going so amazing. I think we're going to make the thousand, y'all. I think we're going to get our mini tour. I'm so excited that we're going to be able to travel around the country and see y'all. Hopefully, look, we're not there yet. The future of pantsuit politics is Patreon. And if the future is going to include a mini tour, we've got to get to 1,000 patrons. We're a little over 100 short right now. And so you can support anywhere from a dollar up to $100 a month. So there's lots and lots of opportunities to grow that number so we can get to 1,000 and travel around the country meeting y'all. And traveling around the country meeting y'all is part of the future of Pantsy Politics. So we've told you in week one about where we came from. Last week, we talked about what Patreon support has enabled us to do. This week, we're focused on the future, which includes a lot more of the policy sets where we do five things Mm -hmm. you need to know about, plus an opinion show, and lots more time spent with people in person. We absolutely love it when we hear from a congregation or a civic organization or a business, and you say, here's the problem that we're having trouble discussing. Come help us. We want to do more of that work because it makes us better thinkers and better speakers. We think we bring back ideas that are really important to doing better podcasts. And we feel like this kind of mission of let's do nuance and conversation translates really well to in-person events. Plus, it's just a joy to meet all the people who spend mm-hmm. time with us every week. So more time on the road is a big part of what we're thinking about going into the next couple of years. And your support is absolutely necessary to make that happen because can't do much else in life when you're traveling all the time. Word. It's so true. Expanding the mission, the community, the work of pantsuit politics. That's really what Patreon does. It really allows us to not only get support, be able to focus our time, but be able to open up possibilities inside our own imaginations. I mean, often sometimes you guys are dreaming bigger than we are. And so when you say, hey, I see you guys doing this. I think this is valuable work. You need to do this. And when you support us financially because you believe so much in that mission, I, mean, I just it's such a gift. So please head over to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics and find the, you know, the level of support that best suits you. We're just looking for those thousand patrons. We're so excited to reach our goals by the end of this week. So go check it out. Okay. Speaking of Patreon. I've spent a lot of time on this on the Nightly Nuance. Sarah, you've been talking about it on the news brief on Instagram. It has been a dramatic time between the White House and Congress. So we're recording a little bit early because of the Memorial Day holiday. But there are some issues that are going to continue on no matter what time frame we're in. One, Congress really needs to get a framework in place for a new budget. Two, Congress is trying to investigate the president. I don't know if you knew this. And three, the president is really unhappy about that and says he cannot work with Congress on anything else while these silly investigations continue. This is all escalating into the court system. It's going to keep escalating into the court system as the White House stalls and denies Congress access to witnesses. It's a mess. It's a mess right now. Yeah, I know that it is so easy to roll our eyes, particularly at the president. I mean, the the sort of Rose Garden stunt was just that. It felt very much like a stunt, like a temper tantrum. And I don't disagree with that. But 
You know, in the last year or so, every time he does, he acts out. I don't really know any other way to say it. When he acts out, I think this is not, I think it's easy to roll your eyes or to think that this is just a PR strategy. And I, I think that's true as well. But I feel like this the more dramatic the gesture, the more the pressure he feels or the more bad news he's getting behind the scenes. And so I think on his side, what you're seeing is these court decisions are beginning to come back. Almost every single one is a win for the investigatory and oversight authority of Congress. You see things like New York State passing legislation that allows the House to gain access to his state tax returns. And I think you're just he's mad. He's mad that it's not going his way and that he's going to most likely lose this fight in the courts. And so the more losses pile up in the court strategy and the more documents and the more information he sees as going to Congress and going to be made public, I think you see him getting more dramatic because it's it's bad. Look, he had a bad week last week. There's really no other way to spin it. He had lost several court battles. The New York state legislator, like I said, is passing that. I mean, he had a bad week. And I think you saw him expressing some of those big feelings about his bad week. And I think on Congress's side, the pressure is increasing on them, too, because of elections, because of budget. And so what do we think is going to happen when both sides are experiencing increasing pressures? And we're getting closer to an election. Which is another pressure. (laughs) It's so weird because it would be a bad week for almost any human on Earth. I'm just not sure he views it that way. I was listening to the Daily's episode about Deutsche Bank and how even though the relationship that Donald Trump as a real estate mogul had with this bank was almost an abusive one where he just kept defaulting on loans and putting the bank in horrible positions and then suing the bank, saying that they had defrauded him. They just kept coming back and lending him more money. And as I listened to that, it just reminded me that he likes the fight. He's up for the fight. His whole career has been one fight after another, one terrible set of circumstances after another, a really bad investment and then another really bad investment. And he just keeps coming back from it. And so I never want to underestimate the resilience of Donald Trump because I do think he takes these controversies. You know that his favorite thing he did all week was the Rose Garden thing. You know, he just he likes it. I don't know. I can't decide if I if I agree with that, because I do think sometimes he is miserable and he is angry that he doesn't have control over the situation. I don't think that he is. Always enjoying the ride, like I think you're right, I think he likes the fight, but at a certain point when he feels out of control and when he feels like. There's nothing I can do. I think that's when you see him really upset, really angry. And he's not a happy person. So I don't even know how to use the word enjoy in a situation with Donald Trump. And I always think, and it's not just because I've been listening to Howard Stern on Terry Gross, but I always think about him saying, like, he wants to be liked. So this is going to be really bad for him. And I think he also wants to be in control and feel like he's in control of the maybe that's what it is i think he wants to feel in control of the fight like he's the one picking the next move and so i think the more this this fight this particular fight between him and congress gets out of his hands the angrier and he gets the more frustrated he gets the more he's likely he is to lash out it's really funny to me when people are like huh something about nancy pelosi really gets under his skin well i wonder what that is (laughs) 
Oh, it's so true. I wonder what that is. And in addition to her being a woman, she has control. I mean, yeah. the the message coming out of Capitol Hill right now is that Nancy Pelosi has control of this caucus. And I think her control increases every day because her strategy has been successful so far. You know, I think if Democrats were taking a beating in the courts, it would be different. But seeing these strongly worded opinions that just keep opening more doors for Democrats shows that she's on the right track here. And I can imagine that the Republican Party, as frustrating as it is to all of us, and as much as it feels like Donald Trump has totally taken over this party and it's ridiculous, and I I do feel that, but that is an unruly caucus in all circumstances. It is not like he has control of the party such that they've been able to get anything done in Congress that he wanted, even when they had the majority in both chambers. And I can imagine that it really grates him that she runs such a tight ship. And I think that this also plays into the fact that I don't know if he has a fundamental misunderstanding of how our government works or if he just refuses to accept how our government works. But the idea that because someone is politically motivated, it all of a sudden absolves his responsibility in a system built on checks and balances, like he really seems to believe that. Like, well, the fighter is not motivated so they should be dis for the motivated for the reasons i think they should be so they should be disqualified from the fight well blessings that's not how our constitutional system works so like i his frustration i think and with this is shown throughout his presidency that he is not a king and or a monarch and then he can't just be like wave a magic wand and make it all go away i mean i think that keeps building and that keeps building as well it's a frustration with the system not just the pressures within it I think that this strategy of taking everything to court is going to backfire in such a big way over time as you develop this new body of case law, all of Mm. which affirms the power of Congress. It would be really difficult for the Supreme Court to take the opinion Judge Mehta wrote about the subpoena to Mazars, for example, where the court just laid out and it wasn't making new law, right? It was just quoting Precedent after precedent, Congress can do this for any legislative purpose. Congress also has a purpose of looking deeply into the eyes of government and telling the American people what it sees. I mean, I don't think that even the most conservative Supreme Court can walk back where we are in terms of what Congress has the authority to do. So I think that he will regret the idea that fighting all this in court is a good strategy. From your lips to God's ears. We wanted, instead of complimenting the other side today, to really focus in on Memorial Day, which has been a federal holiday since 1967, but originated from the American Civil War to honor the dead um, from both the Union and the Confederacy, and thought we would share with you a little bit of a speech that Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. gave in 1884 called, In Our Youth, Our Hearts Were Touched with Fire. This speech was given in Keene, New Hampshire, two decades before he was appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Holmes elaborated on the meaning of Memorial Day. He said, So to the indifferent inquirer who asks why Memorial Day is still kept up, we may answer. It celebrates and solemnly reaffirms from year to year a national act of enthusiasm and faith. It embodies in the most impressive form our belief that to act with enthusiasm and faith is the condition of acting greatly. 
And he ended the speech by saying, Grief is not the end of all. I seem to hear the funeral march become a paean. I see beyond the forest the moving banners of a hidden column. Our dead brothers still live for us and bid us think of life, not death, of life to which in their youth they lent the passion and joy of the spring. As I listen, the great chorus of life and joy begins again. And amid the awful orchestra of seen and unseen powers and destinies of good and evil, our trumpets sound once once more, a note of daring, hope, and will. Next up, we're going to share our conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Jeanette Godry Haney from the U.S. Marine Corps Reserves. She's a Ph.D., she's a Naval Academy graduate, and an attack helicopter pilot by trade. Her academic research focuses on the gendered nature of conflict, and we do want to make sure that everybody understands that everything Jeanette says is reflective of her opinions and not the views of those of the Navy or Marine Corps. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsy Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is Bake from Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi-connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. 
And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We are so excited to be talking today with Jeanette Haney. Jeanette, Amy McGrath introduced us, and I know that you are working on a podcast about women in military service, so we could not wait to talk with you about that here at Fancy Politics. Thank you guys for doing what you're doing and for having me on. Can you tell everybody a little bit about your personal biography, about your service, and what inspired you to start talking more publicly about these issues? I can. I went to the Naval Academy and got my commission in the United States Marine Corps. And I'm finishing up 21 years of service in the Marine Corps this summer and getting out. While on active duty and as a reservist, I flew Cobras, which are attack helicopters. And it's a very, the Marine Corps is a very masculine institution, as is the Naval Academy. Although the Naval Academy has trended less so over the years. And the entire military. Yeah, the entire military is, but the Marine Corps has the lowest percentage of women across the services. And the Navy has increased, but a lot of the women in the, the Naval services are concentrated in the medical community within the the Navy. So even at the Naval Academy, my class had maybe 10% women. They're up to about 25 or 27% now, which is fantastic. But I spent my career in basically integrating from a pilot perspective, every squadron, every unit I went to, and then had a kid on active duty and my husband's Marine as well. And the things I experienced turning myself into a mother while also serving on active duty made me want to understand a lot more about the dynamic that I'd been operating in for a decade at that point. So I went back and got my master's and then my PhD in international relations with a focus on the gender dimensions of conflict, violence, and war fighting. And those experiences and that research has given me a lot of words to understand what I was a part of, why things happened to me and to happen to people around us and happen in the outside world the way they did. And so last fall at my 20-year Naval Academy reunion, a bunch of us from our class, uh, spearheaded by Sue Olivier, who had been my roommate at the Naval Academy, decided to do an all-women's brunch. And this was noteworthy because during our time at the Academy, none of us had ever really associated with each other as women. We didn't want to be identified as women publicly. You didn't want to be overly feminine, formed friendships with the men more than the women to some degree. At no point during those four years or in the subsequent 20 years did any of us decide to have any kind of all women's meeting. Had there been a picture, a graduation of all the women in our class, no one would have shown up or a few, only a few would have. So it was pretty noteworthy. And we had this brunch and it was amazing. And it was the first time that I felt free to say I'm a woman in the Marine Corps. I was a female student at midshipman at the Naval Academy and it was liberating. And we all started to talk I wrote a Facebook post about it. Another friend of mine wrote this long one about how much it meant and how these conversations we were only now starting to have as, you know, 42, 43 year old women taught us that a lot of things we'd experienced at the Naval Academy and in our careers that we thought we were alone in experiencing and alone in having to suffer through. We were not alone in that. In fact, it probably happened to almost everyone. Having those experiences and having the forum to talk about them in some way made us start to think that we could take this voice and take this group and this energy and bring it to other classes. Because for so long, we'd all been thinking that we were alone and having to handle all this. So we formed the Sisterhood of Mother B. 
And Mother B is Bancroft Hall. It's the nickname for Bancroft Hall, which is the giant dorm that all midshipmen at the Naval Academy live in. And we formed the Sisterhood of Mother B, and we started writing. We went live January 1st with a website. We do a post a week written by a female graduate, sometimes a male graduate, and we are starting a podcast. We do different things to involve the community. We do Waypoint Wednesdays, Throwback Thursdays, and Five for Fridays, kind of those things just to keep people involved and to bring them in and to generate interest and discussion. But what's been really fascinating for us is the outpouring of support and the outpouring of emails and contacts from not just female classmates and male classmates, but women from classes all up and down before ours and after ours talking about the same experiences. So many women have had those same experiences or similar experiences. And so many of us thought we were alone. And so we're viewing this as a way to start the conversation to bring in the men from our classes and the men from up and down in different years to build better leaders, to mentor, to network, and to have open conversations where the men are in to become allies and advocates for the cause. It sounds like consciousness raising in the purest sense of the word, those 60s groups you hear about feminists being in in the 60s where they would come together, they would share their stories, and they would say, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. It's not just me. It's this journey all of us are taking. And I think it's so interesting that a male-dominant organization like the United States military would be kind of coming along on that same path just later How much do you think it is about those rising numbers? You have all the interesting statistics about when there's one woman in an organization, she feels like she has to protect herself. And then you get to a certain number of women in an organization and you start to see this this coming, forming together as a group and being more comfortable identifying by that group. Do you think it was that there just reached a critical mass of women in the military and that's when things really started to change? I don't. I don't particularly buy into the critical mass in part because... I've seen this happening in the Marine Corps as well. And at my rank in the Marine Corps, we're still a 4% female and at the higher ranks as well. But, and I can talk about the Marine Corps in addition to this because of what we've had going on over the last two years, but it's all linked together. And I think part of it has to do with Me Too and awareness on the outside mm. that we don't have to accept this. I think for so long, I felt, and a lot of this, I'm speaking for myself, obviously in this podcast, but I've had so many similar conversations that I know I'm not the only one that feels this way. And that's why this has been galvanizing. But so many of us over the years accepted this. As, you know, for me, I wanted to be a Cobra pilot because the aircraft looks scary. It looks pretty badass. Um, I thought it would be a huge challenge. You know, the Cobra community has a reputation of eating its young. Cobra pilots eat their young, meaning you have to be tough. You have to to know your stuff inside and out. And they also didn't have any women. So I thought that would be a major challenge. So I accepted all the other stuff, just like at the academy and just like in my Marine Corps career outside of the cockpit, I accepted the, the harassment, the objectification, the assault when it happened. I accepted a lot of things as this is just part of the risk that comes with it. I have to be tough, bite my tongue, do my job, keep my head down, and I will triumph in the end. And as it turns out, we don't have to accept that. It shouldn't be that way. And oh, by the way, all of these different things that create that kind of suffocating and poisonous culture, they actually have outcomes besides what we see manifesting through women and sexual mm-hmm. assault. They have other outcomes too. And we're all talking about this right. now. And it, I heard you say, agree there. It is something that's a national and international discussion now. So I think that had way more to do with this kind of galvanizing moment and this kind of activity 
than the growing numbers of women. I think having more women can help, but women can be just as institutionalized and just Mm -hmm. as hyper-masculinized as men can be. And I, I lived that myself for many years. Can you unpack that a little bit, Jeanette, as someone who has gotten a PhD studying conflict? In what ways would you help military leaders understand the damage, not just to women within the military, but to the military itself caused by this culture? So I can talk about my own experiences a little bit to give an example, but I um, was always the only female pilot in every squadron I went to, except for a brief period when I was at the training squadron as an instructor. And we had one other female instructor and then a, a couple of female students come through. And by and large, everywhere I went, the idea was that if there were junior women in the squadron, perhaps they could look up to me as a mentor. And I pushed back on that very hard early on. I had an executive officer, basically the second in command of the squadron, in my first deploying squadron back in the early and mid 2000s. And he pulled me into his office. He was brand new. He had just come to our unit. He pulled me into his office and said, I'm so glad we have a female pilot, a female officer. If any of the female enlisted Marines have a problem, I want them to come directly to you for help. And I said, and if they do that, I'll refer them directly to their chain of command because that's not my job. And honestly, in an ideal world, that probably would have been the right answer. But I didn't, I saw my role as I'm a Marine, just like everybody else. What I failed to see was that women in the Marine Corps in particular, even though I acknowledged it on the fringes, I didn't really understand how deeply it affected us, that that objectification, that different set of standards, double standards being applied by the Marines around us, the subordination that was constantly being internally and mentally applied to these women. I didn't see that for what it was. I thought it was just a risk. I could push through it. If I could push through it, bite my tongue and get tough skin, then everybody else should be able to also. So that was one example of how I was institutionalized. And it took me finding myself suddenly subject to all those same restrictions that I thought I'd worked through and been better than for me to realize that I didn't know what was going on. I really needed to study it a lot closer, which was a humbling and humiliating in many ways experience, but a really good one in the end. Now you're talking about how to tie that to outcomes in the broader military and in the broader national, international conversations. There are a lot of ways to do that. My husband is an infantry Marine. And so he has several combat tours as a company commander for the Marine Corps Infantry. And he and I both had a set of experiences over the years that showed us that we had been institutionalized in our own training and in how we thought about things to act in what would be best called a stereotypically masculine way or hyper-masculine, if you want to go down that road. And I I prefer that term, but I tried to not use it over too much because it can alienate some people. But if you look at incidents that happened in Iraq and Afghanistan over time, the ones that get the negative attention, and I think of Haditha and Hamdania, where a, a group of Marines broke into a home. I believe they kidnapped and raped the teenage daughter, eventually killed her, killed members of the family. There were incidents like that in those two places. And then we had uh, Marines urinating on corpses in Afghanistan, things like that. And that's the tactical level, but that's where you see very stereotypical masculine expectations being embedded in training and, and Marines in some ways acting to prove their masculinity and taking out their aggression in certain ways, as opposed to how they'd been trained overtly. It was much more of a subconscious one. I can also talk about in recruit training, there are these stories of male Marines being told not to touch female Marines, not to associate with them, that they're all, they're all only good for one thing. 
female Marines for a long time were called WMs, which stood for women Marines, but we were also told it stood for walking mattresses and things like that. Um, and just like women at the Naval Academy, female midshipmen at the Naval Academy were called WUBAs, which stood for supposedly working uni- uniform blue alpha, but actually stood for women with unusually big asses or women used by all, things like that. So that is, that's embedded and it reaches into the very depths of your soul. If you're a woman serving in those environments, it makes you, it can make you hate yourself. It can make you develop eating disorders, but it's also external because it means when leaders look to develop and promote subordinates, they overlook women more often than not. It means that women aren't necessarily developed and mentored along the way. It means that when you get to the higher ranks of the services, women aren't necessarily present. So those leaders are increasingly similar in their backgrounds, their demographics, and then most importantly, increasingly similar in what they bring to any kind of leadership decision-making scenario or any kind of conflict scenario. So when they're out in Iraq and Afghanistan, what they see in any kind of conflict zone is not necessarily going to be everything that's there. Those outcomes have effects at the strategic, at the operational, at the tactical levels of war. And that's one of the things that I've gotten into that I, I really love talking about and studying in detail because it is fascinating. Well, and you know what else? Honestly, as a person who has never served in the military, a United States citizen who really is on the outside looking in, you have, and I'm painting with a very broad brush here, but you have one side of the political aisle that thinks the military can do no wrong and one side of the political aisle that thinks the military can do no right. And to me, who gets really hurt and left behind is not just active military members, but veterans. And we're not dealing with any of that in a way that has a positive impact inside the organization or outside. And when I find myself sort of most engaged and interested and wanting to hear ways the military can grow and change and how we can better incorporate veterans into our community and how we can do what's best for everybody involved, it's when women members of the military are talking, those largely guys in charge would look around and say, hey, you know what? I think this relationship is broken down and it's hurting everybody. Who could best talk about this in a productive way? Who could lead this conversation into new territory? Who could find policies that have a positive impact on communities, both in and outside the military, on active members, on veterans? I feel like it's women members of the military. Like, I don't, you know, it seems so obvious to me and it's so frustrating that they keep trying the same approach. But I mean, when you say when you have a you have leadership that all looks and thinks the same, I guess it shouldn't be surprising. And to my point about that and the two different camps you, you discussed about the military either doing no wrong or doing no nothing right. It's made up of human beings, men and women, just like you and me, obviously. And we are all human. We all make mistakes, but we are all also capable of such amazing work. And mm-hmm. The people that I have gotten, had the privilege to meet and serve with, both through the Naval Academy and through the Marine Corps, will be my lifelong best friends. And so all of this is to say we're all fallible and we all need to be more effective in our own jobs. We all need to have a broader understanding of the world that surrounds us and our place in it. And I don't mean our place necessarily demographically or class-wise. I mean, me as a woman in the Marine Corps, I bring a set of experiences, expectations, and beliefs to every single decision I make. And those things shape the decisions I make. And they shape them in very meaningful ways that 
I did not appreciate for a long time. I did not appreciate until after the end of my third year of basically solo parenting on active duty while still flying nights. My husband was in Iraq. I did not understand at the time that that made me look at problems differently at the end of that time. It took years of studying that and realizing it to understand that that's our strength and we're not capitalizing on that. We're not capitalizing on the great diversity of experiences and perspectives that people within our military and people within the broader country are capable of. And to, to best address the challenges that we will face, both from a national security perspective and from all these other issues facing us, climate change, corruption in government, transnational terrorism, domestic terrorism, to better address those issues, we need as many good ideas from as many corners of the country as we can find them. And we're not going to do that if we systemically undercut people and weigh them as less than others, tell them that they don't belong, call them names and place them into little identity boxes. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. 
Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Jeanette, you mentioned that all of those examples of being harassed and assaulted and abused that you endure really cuts to your soul as a woman in service. Are you finding good resources to help with those issues? Is the best resource just communally airing them and moving forward? What what makes a difference in addressing the damage that's been done? That's a great question. And I, I don't have a good answer yet. A lot of the, these discussions are still only starting to happen. Like I came forward a few months ago and told a group of friends that I have been struggling with a number of things for some time and just started talking to a therapist and those just to work through them for my own strength. And those are things that every person needs to try to figure out on their own. But I think airing them out to some degree has been very cathartic for our group. It seems to be because until this point, we all thought we were largely alone. And we thought that was, you know, just part of the price that we had to pay to be in this community. That said, one of our concerns is that we don't want this to be just an airing of grievances. The point is to have the discussions, reach out, network each other, network with each other, build each other up, and then move forward. It's supposed to be a strengthening opportunity. So we had t-shirts made early on. Michelle Cruz, who is one of my female classmates, who is kind of our, our noble leader within the sisterhood group, did a fundraiser where she raised money for the Naval Academy Women's Shared Interest Group, which we do little scholarships and things like that. The t-shirts that she got made said on the back, be the woman you needed as a plebe. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but plebes are freshmen at the Naval Academy. And the point that she was trying to make that I think is an amazing one is that we're here for each other now, and that could be the best resource we can offer. And for the Marine Corps, for example, two years ago, we had something called Marines United kind of come out in the news. And it was this big social media scandal where there was a website through a closed group, I believe, mm-hmm. and they were sharing you know, nude pictures, et cetera. There was a lot more to it than that, but it was not the first group like that. However, it was the first one that somehow got political and media attention to the degree that it did. And so it kind of galvanized the leadership of the core to say, this isn't right. What's going on here? We need to do something about this. And then it did something that I still get chills to know that I was able to be part of, but female Marines across the Corps joined together and started a closed Facebook group called Actionable Change. And the point was to discuss, to network, to mentor, to build each other up and to propose changes. It was, you want, we wanted to see change. And we wrote an open letter to the Marine Corps, had it published in the Washington Post. It was signed by a hundred something, I think like 150 female Marines. I think we got that many names on it in like a day or two. And it was basically saying that we were part of the problem. We were no longer going to be part of the problem. We were going to be part of the solution. It gave me chills to, to see and to be part of. And that group today has over a thousand members. 
There are posts almost every day. Someone will ask for advice. Someone will talk about a problem they have and 50 other people will chime in and talk about it. And I have never in my life associated with other female Marines that way. Um, because when you're a minority like that in that kind of fairly hyper-masculine organization, the last thing you want to do is associate with other women who are in the Marine Corps. You want to push them away. It's, it's the queen bee thing on steroids. That's just, that's just what happens. And so to see this happen, to see this kind of galvanizing moment occur and to be part of that was one of the biggest privileges I've had. I think that the work you're doing, amplifying those voices, getting these conversations going and continuing and constantly focusing on the next step and how you serve your organization that you clearly care so much about is such a powerful testimony, not just when we have conversations about the military, but when we have conversations about any sort of institutional change. So well done. Thank you. And thank you both for what you're doing, because it is so important. If people want to connect with your work, Jeanette, how can they find you? Well, they can probably best find me through the Sisterhood website. We, ha- we do. We have a Twitter feed. We have a USNA Women's SIG page, which I believe is an open page hostess. So we have a website through there, Sisterhood of Mother B. Twitter is probably the easiest. One of our members is the, our Twitter guru and is on it constantly. But we're going to be releasing our podcast starting at the end of the month. While our focus initially was on becoming a sisterhood to to join forces with the brotherhood is probably the end goal because we can't make change happen without the men, just as we can't make change happen, you know, nationally and globally without the men or without the majority if we're, we're talking about any issue. So part of this has been not just building each other up, not just reaching out to ourselves, but educating contacting and bringing in the men in our class and the men in the other classes and the men throughout the services that we are all members of because we need them and we need them to be advocates and champions for each other, for the women they work for. I think one of the coolest things has been to read the responses of men from our class, male classmates of ours who have reached out to us individually to thank us and to say that, you know, they've got daughters now who are teenagers And they're seeing what we went through and want their daughters to not go through it and want their daughters to grow up strong with good, solid examples of of how to advocate for yourself and how to advocate for others. And that's been really fun to see. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. I was excited to do it. So thank you. We're so grateful to Jeanette for her time today and for sharing some really difficult things about her experiences, but important to our understanding of military service, especially for women. We're going to shift gears now and talk, as we always do, about what's on our mind outside of politics. Sarah, what are you thinking about? It's summer, y'all. My kids are out. It's hot. Every week is a new adventure. What camp is on our schedule? How am I going to get my work done? Why is everybody so dirty all the time? I mean, I love summer, but man, is it a mind shift. You just got to shift. You got to shift your perspective. It's very dramatic for me. We've been talking about sitting down with Jane and establishing some expectations for the workday because we both work from home. It's going to be a whole lot of togetherness. And we really need to be on the same page about how we communicate with one another during work time. Jane is so creative and fun and hilarious. And she wants me to notice that at all times. (laughs) I do too. I feel that. I feel you, Jane. It's just not conducive to research or recording or listening or any of the things that all form the basis of how I earn a living in this world. And Mm -hmm. Chad too. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to have to have some conversation about that. 
Well, we talked about it because we scaled back Griffin's sort of camps this year. He's like, I don't want to spend every week in a camp. Okay, cool. Well, you need to have some work to do too. So I said, I'd like to know that you have for sort of like a summer project. Like what is something, a skill you want to get better at, uh, something you want to have to show for the end of the summer. So he wants to write a book over the course of the summer. We have not fleshed out the specifics of that. But I told him, I was like, you're going to have to have something to do because it's not going to be, let's just play video games while mom works. Because if I don't have something else in place, that's what it will turn into. But it's just it's just more management, man. I got to like manage all that. Jane doesn't want to go to camps either. She told me she wants to ride her bike and read books and play with her friends and jump on the trampoline. And that sounds awesome. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. sounds awesome. And also, I know that she's going to want me to watch her do all those things. Yep. Well, I wanted to talk briefly about this book, Burnout. So we both got interested in this because of a Goop podcast interview. And we're reading Don't the book judge. Now. They're really good. This was a really excellent episode. <laughs> we know of what's Goop going podcast. on in your head. But OK, I'm in the first chapter and I've already encountered a life changing principle. Ooh, tell me. It is that part of the problem with modern stress is that we do not allow our bodies to complete the stress response cycle. Okay, so so here's how she describes it. Like, biologically, stress is helpful to us, right? It fuels our muscles to get us away from predators. So lion is coming at me. My body creates stress. It fuels my muscles and I run away or I go into fight mode, right? It fuels my Mm -hmm. muscles so I can fight the lion. The trouble with our modern stress is that I have the stimulus, here's the thing, the stressor is coming at me, and my body creates the stress response, and then I just sit there with it because I'm at my computer or I'm having a conversation with someone or I'm in the workplace where fighting or fleeing are not appropriate, socially acceptable responses. And so we never complete the stress cycle and we just sit in our stress all the time. And that was such a Mm mind-opening concept for me. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the part that got to me almost more than any other. I haven't started the book yet, but the podcast, when she said that, I was like, that makes so much sense. And how we're all carrying these uncompleted stress cycles. I mean, I feel like, could we just say that's almost what trauma is? That's the trauma we carry in our body, right? Is that we start these, we have a traumatic experience, our body starts the stress cycle. And especially the worse the experience is, it just gets deposited in all our cells. And because we're not actually fighting off a line or running, and telling our body, okay, I've run, I've exerted myself, now it's over because it's psychological stress or abuse or whatever, then it ne- it just gets stored. And I loved it in the podcast where she talks about her sister would like would run and not just run, but like visualize herself pounding the faces of the people she was mad at or pounding the situation, like really visualizing herself on these runs, physically exerting herself and overcoming that stressful situation. I think it's just so insightful. It is really insightful. It made me think about politics, too, because what is politics yep. if if not all of us sitting in a stress cycle that we can't complete? Mm-hmm. Well, and this is what I think about. This is supposed to be outside politics, but it's so related. I've been thinking so much about the idea that you don't crush your enemy. You don't annihilate them. You leave a pressure release valve. You leave a space for them to come out of that stress cycle, that political argument, with room to breathe and think, okay, that's completed and let's go on, as opposed to I'm constantly under attack. 
We have not found a way to do that in politics, and I just think we're suffering for it. This is something I've been thinking about a lot, as is often the case. There's such a connection between how we act in individual circumstances and the larger connection to the societal context. And I think this idea that we are just in constant fight or flight as individuals and as a culture, man, let me channel my inner Dr. Phil. How's that working for us? Are we happy with it? I'm not happy with it. I'll tell you. I've started responding to my phone with anger when a notification (laughs) comes up and I'm realizing this is not good, Beth. Like you have to make some changes here because I love I love the work that I do. And I still feel too tied to kind of this sense of I need to be checking on it constantly. I need to be working constantly. I need to be engaged with it. And I knew this about myself, that becoming self-employed was not going to make me suddenly have a different set of behaviors. (laughs) And so I'm replicating behaviors that made me not love what I was doing before in the context of work that I do love. And I need to figure that out because I I am collecting stress and not releasing it. So I'm really trying to get outside more. I find as soon as I like I almost need the the flight aspect. Chad says that Mm. I want to run away all the time. And I kind of do. (laughs) And that is not a signal that I don't love my family. I love all of them. But I think that's my stress response. I think it is like I just want to get away for a second and then I feel better. Right. Well, as we approach the summer, we hope that all of you will find ways to get away. We will be going on heads up as the summer season shifts into gear. We will be taking some breaks and Pansy Politics. We'll have content for y'all, so don't nobody freak out. But we wanted to give you a heads up that we will be taking breaks around the July 4th weekend and also at the end of July. We also have some exciting interviews coming up. We're going to talk with a couple of Senate candidates that we're really excited about. So stay tuned because the summer's going to be good. We're going to all have a good summer together. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pantsuit Politics. And until we're back in your ears on Friday, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.